are in Matthew 13, 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. So, um, 24. Whew. Jesus told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where then the weeds have come where then have the weeds come from? The enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds, tie them in bundles, and burn them. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I'm really nervous. I can feel my, my voice shaking, so I'm so sorry, you guys. <laughs> okay, so 36, uh, the parable of the, of the weeds explained. Then he left the crowd and went to the house. The disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of age and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, whose ears, who has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. I forgot to mention that little part. <laughs> um, let us pray before we start today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. I'm just so thankful for your word, Lord. I'm thankful for the opportunity to bask in it and soak in it and learn your wisdom, Father. As we read and listen today, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that forever hungers and thirsts for your word. Bless us all. Thank you for everyone who came this morning, Lord Jesus. Let us leave uplifted um, with your truth in our heart. In your name, amen. Amen. Um, we are uh, teaching through the parables of Jesus um, we t- for the, this last month and the next couple weeks as we meet in here and just trying to explore, um, like to picture the kingdom. Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God and he starts in Matthew, in this, this book, he starts to transition to tell parables about what the kingdom of God is like. And so today we hit Jesus' parable of the weeds and the field. Remember, he is trying to explain what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he starts to tell a story about a farmer who sowed good seed in the field, but then he says an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat while the workers and himself were sleeping. 
If you can imagine, this is a form of, of almost bioterrorism. It looks like a deliberate attack on the livelihood of the farmer who owns the field. Often in ancient battles, um, when somebody would conquer a city, they would uh, destroy that city, they would raise that city, and they would, what was called, they would salt the earth, or they would sow salt into the ground, or other minerals, or other weeds, and it would prevent that land from coming back. Destroying a city, and now it won't come back. It's a form of attacking something that was once good. And here we have an enemy that's attacked the farmer's field. And in the parable, we don't see it in English, but the seed has a name that he actually sows. That weed that the enemy sows is called darnel or bearded darnel. And it grows in the wheat fields in the Middle East. And the problem with this weed is that up until the end, it, it really just looks like wheat. It looks a lot like it. It's incredibly hard to distinguish. It looks the same. I, I threw a picture of that. Um, this is, you want to throw that up there? Oh, there. Hit the next slide. This is wheat and the darnel. Which is which? You see it? To the right is darnel. That is the weed. To the left is wheat. These are the early stages of its blooming. It looks a lot alike, right? It's hard to distinguish the two. If you saw those bundled up into a field, it looks like green. It looks like tall grass. The farmers call this false wheat. And as it, re as it grows, it resembles a head of wheat, and it's fairly indistinguishable um, from the weed and the wheat. But in the end, it proves what it actually is. It's a weed. And I think, I look at these weeds, I'm like, what's the deal with just a few weeds in the field? The servants seem to react pretty heavy to that. Why does it seem um, that that weed is such a big deal? And maybe it's my lack of farmer skills, um, but we don't, like, it doesn't seem like a big deal to me. However, already in my backyard, I see them growing. Um, my kids call them pokies. I don't know if you've seen these before. Um, pokies are that little spur weed. That's what my kids call them. It starts to grow this time of year, and it resembles grass right now. It looks a lot like grass, tightly bound. Right now, I can play soccer in the front, front yard of my house, and it's just like stepping on soft grass. But come springtime, there will be one moment where we go out to play and somebody will step on one, scream pokey, and then fall to the ground and try to pick it out of our, pick it out of our feet. There is nothing worse than stepping on a pokey. Um, it almost ruins the grass because you almost can't trust where you step, right? So I know that. I know what that little weed can do. And for the original hearers of Jesus' parable, the Darnell weed among the wheat is almost worse than a pokey in my grass. Why? Um, it's really important to separate these two if you're farming in the Middle East because the Darnell wheat can actually cause a form of dizziness and sickness and even like add just a bit, even just a little bit adds a bitterness to your wheat and what it tastes like. And so the farmers feel they wake up and it's now full of weeds and we should hear this as going like, this is bad news. Like, uh-oh, something is wrong. Put ourselves there for a second. I know that even in Bakersfield, I assume that not, all, not, not many of us or all of us get our livelihoods directly from agriculture or farming. But just imagine your place of work tomorrow, whatever you're doing tomorrow, and imagine you go to sleep tonight and you wake up tomorrow and you, you get ready for work and you go to that place of work and an enemy's done something to your, to your job. Maybe it's a rival company. Maybe it's, I don't know what, just imagine that for a second. And you wake up and now it's caused you so much more work, 
so much more stress. The fear of like what you've put your hard work into completely being destroyed. What would arise in you that next day? What would happen? There'd be anxiousness, maybe anger, revenge. You'd have like decisive action. Like we have to do this now. We have to do this now. So that's, our, that's what's happening in the parable. A good farmer sows good seed. This is about the kingdom. And they wake up and an enemy has sown wheat. Now, if you're a good farmer and you find out the next morning that you have, or when it starts to sprout, you find out that there's weeds in the field. If you are a good farmer, what is the correct and the right thing to do? Whenever we study the parables, we need to look for the surprise. Look for the thing that, that twists. I, I love um, Eugene Peterson calls it like telling it slant. Jesus is telling us a parable, but there's something in here that's supposed to be a surprise. We need to look for that. Again, you have a farmer, and the right thing to do if you have weeds is to do what? You pull them out. That's what a good farmer does. You go to work. You get those suckers out of there. You rid the yard of pokies, right? That's what you're supposed to do. But the surprise here is the strangeness of the farmer. It's the surprise. The servants in the story, they get this, and from their response, we see that. The servants want answers, and the servants want action. But the farmer, in his wisdom, actually has them patiently wait to the end of the harvest to take care of the weeds and to separate the weeds from the wheat. Go to the next slide. Look at verse 29 again. 29 says this. No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. His answer in verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. I imagine the disciples scratching their heads. Um, in the story in Matthew, there's, there's two more parables, and then it says they went into a house, and the disciples asked, like, would you tell us what that parable is? And this is where Jesus gives his explanation. Let's read again verse 36, 13 verse 36. It'll be up on the screen. Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This parable is one of only three parables that Jesus actually explains what's happening. He explains the characters. And just before we go into like an application of what we can grab from this, I just want to look at those characters again so we understand um, who Jesus is talking about. First, next slide, is the man who sowed. Jesus says, this is the son of man. This is Jesus' seemingly favorite title for himself, and he grabs it from the book of Daniel. And it had a lot of um, messianic expectation built into those overtones of that. Jesus is saying he's the man who sows the good seed, meaning this story we're reading is about the kingdom, but specifically about Jesus' life and his ministry and his work in the world. 
The field, Jesus says, is the world. Barry, can you go to the next slide with that up? The field is the world. And this is important because the parable is often read, of, I've often read it too, of being taught that the field is the people in the church, right? We're talking about wheat and tares in the church. But Jesus says the field that the good seed is sown into, it's, it's the world. It's what we encounter every day. It's, it's our, our space, this, this city, this country, this world is the world. And I'm sure we can apply a lot of things between relationships between believers and the church. However, Jesus is explicit that the field that the farmer sows the good seed in in the kingdom is the world. And what does he sow? He sows the good seed, and that is the people of the kingdom. The seed is you who have been redeemed. You follow Jesus. You are the good seed that Jesus has planted into the world. But amongst the good seed is also the weeds. And these are people of the evil one. It says people. Um, I loved uh, Roxanne's version said sons. It's seeds. Like the, the seeds of the kingdom are planted. The seeds, the sons, the offspring of the evil one are the weeds. Who sows it is the enemy. Jesus explicitly says it's the devil is the enemy that sows these weeds, these people. The harvest is the end of the age. This is a picture of judgment. When God makes all things right, new heavens and new earth, new creation separates the, the wheat from the weeds. The harvesters, he said, are the angels. And the context of that, the pulling up of the weeds, throwing into the fire, this is the end age, this is the judgment. Do you notice who Jesus doesn't include in his explanation of the parable? There's another prominent character in the story that we read, but they don't get mentioned or directly said who they are. Do you see that? Have you read that? It's the servants. The servants actually come to Jesus and, and ask him a bunch of questions. And in the end, when Jesus explains the parable, like he leaves, he leaves those guys out. Um, and to be honest, I don't have like a specific answer why. It's just something I noticed this week and it sat with me. And, and maybe the question I asked, like, are we supposed to be like the servants asking that same question, wondering, God, how does your kingdom work? Are we supposed to be the servants? And that's what I want to kind of like lean on this morning is to put ourselves in the servant's shoes in this parable because often as people who follow Jesus, we want to ask the same questions and we, when we want Jesus to take certain action when we encounter evil in our life, when we encounter evil in the world. But first, before we do that, there's a cultural expectation at the heart of the disciples' questions to Jesus and also his opponents as well. The expectation is what kind of Messiah is Jesus going to be and what is the kingdom that he is going to bring about? How is Jesus going to start this revolution of bringing the kingdom of God to fruition in Jerusalem? In the Gospel of Luke, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Luke has this really interesting like half like throwaway line, but it just gives us some idea of the expectation of the Jewish people at the time. In Luke 19, 11, it won't be on the screen, but it just says this, that the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. That the people of God, that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. That's what, was, what the Jewish people thought would happen when the kingdom of God, when God came to reign in Jerusalem, that it would happen all at once. But Jesus' kingdom, and this parable teaches us that as well, is an inaugurated kingdom. 
meaning it doesn't come all at once like they expected. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of God and ushers in this waiting period that people call the already and not yet. The kingdom of God is here amongst us, and it's coming still in fruition, in fullness. It's this already not yet kingdom. The parable of the weeds in the field like confronts the disciples' expectations of how the kingdom of God will come about, how God will deal with evil that we find in this world, and how the people of God, how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in the kingdom of God as we trust God in the outcome. It actually kind of confronts our expectations as we ask, like, what is our responsibility here and now in the already but not yet kingdom of God? One author this week I read, Kyle Snodgrass, which is a fantastic last name. You were already laughing before I said it. Kyle Snodgrass. I hope that's how I say it. Um, His book, Stories of Intent, he suggests that when we read this parable, a question should come to our mind is this. How can this be the kingdom, the already not yet, how can this be the kingdom if evil is still present? How can this be the kingdom if evil is still present? There is something broken in the world And I and the Jewish people, they expected God to fix it all right away. But instead, we get an already not yet kingdom. If God is among us, if Jesus is ascended and reigning and ruling, why is there still so much brokenness and evil in the world? The first question, um, I'm going to skip that part. The first question, sorry, we're going to skip it. Um, maybe it's a holy filter is what that is. First question is this. When we're coming to Jesus with this parable, the servants ask two things. They first want to ask, why is this happening? They want answers, and then they want certain actions. So I just want to look at those two and then see how Jesus responds. First, they want answers. Look at verse 27. You can skip a few slides, Barrett, to verse 27. It says verse 27. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where then did the weeds come from? Have you asked that question before in your life? Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Why do I see all these weeds? My first encounter with um, this tension of evil, why is there evil if this is the kingdom of God, um, was I went on a trip to Haiti in 2010, closely after the earthquake that destroyed much of the infrastructure um, and and worse, killed hundreds of thousands of Haitians. Um, We were just married. We had a friend uh, who knew somebody who ran a school down in Haiti. And they called and they were just checking in, how are they doing? And they said, we can't get any school supplies at all. We're starting school up. A lot of these kids have, the, have lost parents, have lost loved ones, just trauma. Um, and to make it on top of that, like, we don't have any school supplies. And so this, this group of friends and um, this couple that was leading it just said, we can do something about that. And so we put on backpacks just with our clothes in it, and we bought two giant duffel bags, and we had churches from across the little city just donate a bunch of school supplies. And I'm talking about the duffel bags were giant. They were well over 50 pounds, and we paid for it. But we brought two of them in, everybody had two, and we got on a plane and we flew into Port-au-Prince and we got out um, with these giant duffel bags and trucks and we went to go meet these people and their school to deliver um, the supplies. And driving through, mo- a couple months after the earthquake, 
through already wrecked roads, and now even worse. The only way I can describe what I saw was it was, it was as if the buildings you see were just layered on top of each other like flapjacks. Like you just had one layer, which used to be a floor, and then another layer that used to be a floor, another layer that used to be the floor. And in between each layer was just was the dead. And months later, we're driving and just watching people still work tirelessly to get loved ones out to have a proper burial. House after house, full of that, driving through that city, and I had to ask, sir, didn't you sow good seed? Like, why these weeds? Why this brokenness? But it wasn't just that. The reason that we had to fly into with our supplies in the first place we stayed that night in Haiti overlooked the port, and all you saw in the port, like all your eyes, all they can see is just line after line of, a sh- of ship, of ships with, with supplies in them that could not get in because the political factions in Haiti got so dark and they tried to control it that they clamped down the port. And so you have medical supplies, food, goods, that the world is pouring into it. And because of corruption and because of that evil, because it just sat there. And I looked and I said, sir, didn't you sow good seed? Like, why are these weeds here? And the thing I think that actually broke our hearts the most is people who are already in trauma and have lost their homes, have lost loved ones, they have nowhere to go. FEMA just starts putting up tents in the parks, the public parks, and they become these tent cities. Some are still there today. These tent cities that begin, and we actually tried to go and do some ministry in there and go do some work in there, but our... our people who were giving us the tour and were guiding us, they just would say, absolutely not. You may not enter. We tried. And they said, you, you cannot go in there. There's so much violence. There's so much um, like theft. There's so much rape. There's so much, like you just can't go in there. You can't do it. And it left us and our teams going, sir, didn't you sow good seed? Like, why these weeds? Regardless of the way that we experience evil in the world, and I'm sure if we heard every one of our stories in here, like we'd have experience is of either natural evil or moral evil from people that we know, situations we've been in. Regardless of the way we experience it, usually we want to, just like the servants, ask the question, why? God, why? Why is it like this? They come to the owner, and the servants are completely preoccupied with the problem of evil. Wait a minute, they say. You're a good farmer. Didn't you sow good seed into the ground? Why is this happening? And just like thousands of years of people wrestling with this question, their first response is not how they should act in the midst of the evil, but they look for, the, they look for an explanation that they can't understand. Where did it come from? Reading it this week, like I sat there, I was like, this is an understandable question from the servants. I would ask it too. And I think it would be easy for us, typically, and our response as followers of Jesus is often in the midst and the face of evil is to say, well, we have a quick answer for that. It's to turn, turn to your Bible and hopefully find some succinct answer of why there's an ultimate origin of evil in the world? Why are there weeds in the field? But the truth is, we will not find an answer. We won't. I'm not talking about the entry of evil and sin into the human life and experience. That's Genesis 3. We can read that. What I'm talking about is the evil force that tempted humans into sin and rebellion. That 
ultimate origin is not fully explained. We get glimpses of it. The story's full of it. But to understand the origins, we just don't get it. Evil seems to explode into the biblical narrative unannounced, already formed, without explanation or rationale. We're left to meditate on why the serpent in the garden was more crafty than the other wild animals. I don't have the quote up here, but Christopher Wright says this in his great little book called The God I Don't Understand. He sums up the mystery of evil um, in God's good world by saying this, whatever we can say about the mysteriousness of the onset of evil into God's good world, we can say for sure that it was not God. Evil is not a part of the being of God. Also, it was not another human being. Evil is not an intrinsic part of what it means to be a human either. We were human once without sin, and so we can be again. That's Christopher Wright's like, summation of that. And then he introduces like the story of Jesus, the story of redemption in, in Scripture from chapter 3 of the Bible to Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the devil. Evil was something from within creation, yet it didn't ultimately belong. It was not a regular animal that spoke to our first parents since it talked. Whatever the evil force that comes about, the story in Scripture sees it as an intruder and an unwelcome force in God's world that he says it was good seven times. It seems to me that the only answer we get from the scriptures in the terms of the problem of evil is the same that the farmer gives the parable. An enemy has done this. Why has this happened? An enemy has done this. And where does that enemy come from? It's, it's not that we get no answers necessarily from the scriptures. It's that we get silence. And that silence is an answer to the question. If I can submit to you, it's a good thing. Can I understand it? No. Do I want to understand it? Probably not. God has decided it's better that I don't. And it seems to me if God has chosen not to explain the origins of evil or the why of it, he would rather concentrate our attention on what to do about it. The dominant question we get in the scriptures when it comes to this problem is not why, but how long, O oh Lord? The dominant question we see in the scriptures is not why, but how long? God, you are good. How long? This is what the servants do. We're going to go to their action. They say this. Okay, we got the answer. Kind of. An enemy has done this. What are we going to do about it now? The second response from um, the servants is that they ask, they, they ask why, and then they say, like, we want action. We want to do something drastic now. And the question for us this morning is, what kind of action does Jesus want us to take as the good seed sown amongst the world? Let's look at verse 27. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And then the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? They looked at the farmer and said, do you want us to do something about it? Do you want us to go pull them up? It's interesting that Christians throughout the centuries have had different ways of dealing with the reality of this tension. There's weeds in the field. What should we do about it? There's been many Jesus followers who felt that it was their missions to actually do exactly what Jesus is not saying to do here. 
to kill and root out all the weeds. Our history is full of it. We have the Crusades, where Christians are killing adherents of Islam to try to root out weeds. No difference from things we do today, maybe on different scales. Murder a doctor who performs abortions. Justified hatred and violence to those who think different. Brothers and sisters, this is a world that we're in right now of this kind of tension. What do we do with weeds? And often we say, like, we must act now. But Jesus' response from the farmer is this, verse 29. No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. He says, no. You pull up evil, you actually pull up goodness right alongside of it. And studying it this week, one of the most remarkable things I saw for the first time comes from the farmer's response. He says this in verse 30, let both grow together. He seems to have an enormous amount of patience and wisdom in this moment. But the word let there, let both grow together, in the original language actually has two meanings when it's applied to something. If you apply it one way, it can mean to leave or to suffer, to let go, to to permit. But if you use it when it's applied to debts and trespasses, sins, and so forth, you actually translate, it gets translated in our English Bible as forgive. It's either let or forgive. And it may be that the early Christians gathered around a liturgy and a meal and the Lord's Supper, and they said the Lord's Prayer when they say, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And then they would go read the parable of the farmer and they would have seen that same word. Let them both grow together. Forgive them to grow together. Jesus has the farmer saying, let them both grow together. Like Jesus on the cross that doesn't threaten his enemies, but he forgives them instead. Now, if you're like me, that patience response of God and also his answer of the enemy has done this, you are probably like maybe a little perturbed that there's no answer to the problem of evil ultimately. And probably even more perturbed, I'm going to use that word more again, that the farmer in a sense says we're going to let it be. How is that possible? What do you mean we're not going to pull out the weeds? Don't you know how dangerous they are? Jesus, don't you know what this could happen? If you simply just have a posture of letting them grow together or forgiveness, won't people take advantage of that and give them permission to sin? Don't we have to do something to keep evil at bay? There is no way you mean to let them possibly grow together, do you? And questions like this bring up about how to respond to evil that gets brought up into this parable, and those responses aren't addressed. That tension's not addressed. You have ample conversation now for lunch. What do we do with this? The tension is here, and we recognize in this story, we recognize that there is separation of the wheat and the weeds, that the weeds are those people sown by the enemy in the field of the world, and as followers of Jesus, we don't tolerate evil, but we don't, and we don't also merge. We're not just saying it's all tall grass. There's not a merging of the wheat and the weeds. It's not saying there is no difference. It's saying that the destruction of that, the taking care of that, is not ultimately our task. 
Again, Kyle Snodgrass names attention. He says this, we resist evil, but how to do that with, without becoming evil in the process? That may well be the human question. In the kingdom of God, we're invited into now. It's also a now and not yet. And we are invited into the patient suffering of God for humanity. It seems to me that God is far more patient than I am. I want to weed now. I would like it to look this way now, but God says that he'll take care of it. God is a patient judge and a good farmer into the world that he created. And the reasons that he longs for them is to turn before him, it's too late. It's not on the screen, but 2 Peter 2 says this, just the heart of who God is. 2 Peter says this, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Some of the reasons that God is patient in him is so those will come to repentance. It's God's desire that no one will perish. Our response as people of the kingdom planted in this world is not to tend to the weeds, but to tend to the wheat and the seed. That is our response. Let's end with the farmer's um, explanation in verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteousness will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Again, back to that, um, the author Kyle Snodgrass. He says, how can this be the kingdom if evil is still present? And what Jesus says as he ends the peril is ultimately the weeds and the wheat, there will be a sifting and judging of everything that causes sin and all who do evil in this age. And it invites us into two realities. One is a sobering truth. And the other is, is a, um, as a posture of trust. It's a strengthening of our trust. It is sobering because God will ultimately judge evil and all those who are seeds of the evil one. And sometime in our modern sensibilities, and me as well, like we bristle at that thought of cosmic judgment a little bit. Like, oh, that's, that sounds a little harsh. And still for me, recalling like my journey in Haiti for, that, for those couple weeks that we were there, there's a part of me that goes, like, I hope that God makes all things right. I desire that, that he makes all things right. Knowing even just what happens and sometimes in our city alone when it comes to human trafficking and some of the darkness that's there. It's like, God, bring judgment. Like, make this right. God is a good judge who we can trust in his timing and his way to bring that about. There's also a strengthening of our trust and hope in this parable. We can expect God to do something to set things right. He is not blind to evil and injustice. He is not blind, but he is he's patient. He is patient in it. The kingdom of he is here, and it is still yet to come. And lastly, just to end this way, like the servants, we ask why, and the servants, we want answers. And Jesus actually invites us into a posture. And we are almost to, at a moment, um, in our world, in our, in our nation, following Jesus is in some ways like a call to, like, oh, we have to pull up the weeds now. We have to pull up the weeds now. And I just, knowing a lot of your story and your journey, and some of you have been so patient in that, 
the patient hold of the tension of saying, no, we want to stand, we want, we want to be people of the kingdom and stand for righteousness, but not at the sake of pulling out the weeds that God says he will. I want to encourage you, like encourage you, like follow God in his patience, in his long suffering. Tucked in between his parable of the farmer and his explanation of the farmer, Jesus gives two more, two more um, parables. And I want to read those this morning because I don't think it's a coincidence that in the explanation of the parable and the parable itself is, is, is tacked in like two other parables. Read verse 31 if you have your Bibles. Matthew 13, 31. It'll be up on the screen too. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and he planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch on its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. You see the smallness of those parables. The smallest of the seeds, small, small yeast and a giant amount of dough. Both of these parables about things that start small and are hidden, but with patience and time have great influence. This is encouraging to me this morning. I hope it's encouraging to you that the kingdom of God, when planted, will, will, will do its work, that God will bring the growth to focus just on the weed, to not negate or neglect the small things of the kingdom. We're, Riverway, we're, we're planted in this, as this little kingdom outpost in Bakersfield as the kingdom of God. And what can seem small and insignificant, once animated by the Holy Spirit towards Jesus and his kingdom, it grows to like become a tree where birds can perch on and rest. It's like yeast working its way in the dough. We take on the patient posture of God in the world. We take on the patient posture. This is not a neglected thing. This is not a weak thing. It's the way of the kingdom. Be encouraged, despite appearances, the kingdom of God is at work in the midst of when we, when we encounter evil. God is doing something in our midst, but not always in our timetable. Be patient and trust that he's at work. And though in the small and hidden ways, may we have hope as those who are hidden and small, and that Jesus says they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. God, as we come to take the bread and cup, I'm reminded of you in the upper room um, talking to the disciples and saying, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Um, on his way, to, on your way to the cross, Jesus, what seemed um, like a defeat, what seemed like the end of, of, of your mission as being Messiah was, was actually like the redemption of the world, the redeeming of sin, and in your death and resurrection, I just see that as like the amen to this way of, of life, of your kingdom, Jesus. That instead of pulling up weeds, it trusts in the Father and his timing. 
Instead of like Peter pulling the sword, it trusts in the way of the cross. Like a little seed planted, like yeast in dough. And so God, this morning, I just pray as we come to this verse and as we um, I just ask that you would give us a posture of patience and trust as we go out into our week, um, as seed in as a seed in the good soil. God, would you give us wisdom and discernment on how to like, be the people of God here and now, to be people of you, Jesus, here and now in this world, in this nation, in this city. So God, we give you like our trust. We love you. We pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to take the bread and cup. Um, we just had grape juice today.